Hello and welcome to the ADHD Mums podcast. It's Jane here and we have the beautiful Jasmine that I've been talking to in the Facebook ADHD Mums chat. Welcome Jasmine. Why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself? Thanks Jane. So my name is Jasmine Meek. I am a mum of two living in Brisbane's Bayside area. So I am also a postpartum doula. So my job is to support mothers after they've had a baby, up to 12 months postpartum with whatever they need support with. So sometimes it's help with baby, sometimes it's help around the house, sometimes it's emotional support. And yeah, I do that part-time and then part-time caring for my toddler and my other one is in school. Yeah, <laughs> I guess that's about it. So it's kind of, I always say, I think part-time mums, like, sorry, part-time working mums are the busiest. Although, I mean, if I had like, if I was a stay-at-home mum, it'd also be pretty busy. So hard to know. So welcome and thanks for making the time. No worries. I'm excited to be here. Thanks for having me. Yeah. So what we are going to talk about today is Jasmine is on the way to a diagnosis. And if I had to think of a topic that gets most requested, most people inbox me about, it's about how to get a diagnosis how to go about it and, you know, I suppose all of the things surrounding that. Do you want to give us a bit of an overview around why you're, you know, what what symptoms do you feel? How long has it been? You know, give us kind of an overview of, of how you got here today and when the appointment is. So it hasn't been that long since I thought, gee, I wonder if I have ADHD. Oh, I'm terrible with timelines, but... If I trace back, so probably earlier in the year, I was posting on Instagram and this, I guess, because of the things I post for my business about the struggles we have in COVID, I thought the algorithm, the Instagram, Facebook algorithm was linking me up with all of the ADHD and neurodivergent content creator posts. And so I made a post a little earlier in the year that said something like the Instagram keeps diagnosing me with ADHD, but I'm pretty sure I just have motherhood. And, and, you know, a lot of people related, but one woman just answered, commented on my post and said, or you might just have ADHD. And, um, that's the best. Yeah. And I just kind of, I crushed it off, but it planted the seed. And then my parents were away overseas for nine weeks and within that time frame something prompted me to start actually looking into the ADHD symptoms like ADHD in women and very quickly I was like oh my gosh okay this is all really relating to me and this is starting to explain a lot and so within a nine-week period I went from not having a clue to finding your podcast, finding a couple of other podcasts, looking for other people online who I could relate to, seeing a counsellor, going to GP and getting the referral to the psychologist. And so by the time my parents got back from Europe, I said, surprise, I think I have ADHD. And then the conversation started. The reason that it's significant about my parents going overseas and in terms of that timeline is because I was waiting to talk to my mum about it when she got home and I've told you this story so my mum I thought used to just joke that she had ADHD 
when I was a teenager. And so when she finally got back from Europe and I was busting to talk to her about all of this and find out what I was like as a kid and get some kind of confirmation there. And I said, Hey mum, you know how you used to joke that you had ADD back in the day? Well, here's, here's what I've been going through for the last couple of months. And, and I launched into telling her all about it. And then as it turns out, she it wasn't just a joke and my mum had tried to seek a diagnosis about 20 years ago as well. And so when I kind of found that out, I was like, oh, okay, the puzzle pieces are all falling into place here. So, yeah. And in terms of symptoms, I guess pretty typical, like when I type in how ADHD presents in mothers, in postpartum, I kind of, I tick all of the boxes for inattention and all of those kind of telltale signs and why it shows up postpartum and misdiagnosed as anxiety and and all of those kind of things. So I tick all of the boxes for inattention and it is is definitely starting to make sense as to why adding a child into the mix really brought all the symptoms like up and made it quite difficult to to function and then on top of that, like my studying goals and my business goals and the self-talk that happens in my head about like beating myself up for being late to every single appointment ever. Yeah, it's all starting to kind of click into place and make sense. Mm. How did you feel when you like first started thinking about it? Did you feel relieved or like pissed off that you didn't know earlier? Or I don't know, you haven't been diagnosed yet, but that's the thought pattern that you've got. What were your initial like feelings and thoughts behind it? Do you know what? Initially it was, I was a bit scared to even say it out loud because I felt like I was so scared about sounding like someone trying to sound more interesting than I am. (laughs) Because, you know, I'd probably judged people in the past for, you know, for calling themselves neurodivergent when I thought, you know, no, you're fine. Like you're an ordinary human being. And then in hindsight, I think to myself, oh, the reason I thought that they were completely typical was because I thought I was typical. And I thought that I was going through life just the same as everybody else, just not, not as good at it or something like that. So I brushed, I probably brushed other people off in my head. And then I was, when, when I started, yeah, to have these kind of thoughts of, oh, there might be something to this. Yeah, I didn't want to sound like I was making it all up or just trying to be the centre of attention or trying to make an excuse. And so I took a little while to bring it up and I first my husband and then the first couple of people I told were people that, like, were not close friends. They were people I thought, you might get this. And I thought the repercussions that it wouldn't feel as big to tell someone that I wasn't extremely close with who hadn't known me for a very long time. Because if I told someone who'd known me for a long time, I was so scared, they would be like, what are you talking about? And I just didn't want to be told I was being silly or ridiculous. And yeah, so that's what really was going through my head initially. And then I was watching a TED talk by her Instagram handle is Struggle Care. And she is an American woman who has ADHD and she had postpartum depression and she wrote a book called How to Keep House While Drowning. And so I ordered that book. Yes. Yeah. And, and I, I 
yeah, there was a whole bunch of different little ways, like little pathways that led me to her book and her TED talk. And I was watching the TED talk and I was just crying the whole time. And then I got the book in the mail, like two days later, and I just in tears every couple of chapters. And so then it started to really feel real and feel like, oh my gosh, I have never felt so seen in my life. And the relief, well, actually not at that stage relief, I guess. I'll get relief when I get a diagnosis from the psychiatrist, but the hope, the feeling, the hopeful feeling of there could, it could be easier than it has been. That was just, yeah. And so many, like, yeah, so many different than even Instagrammers when I'd watch their reels even and just being like, oh, my gosh, oh, my gosh, this could be better. Mm. Yeah, the hope. Yeah, and I think the awareness is really powerful too. You know, I always pretty much every episode we talk about awareness and, you know, it's hard to be compassionate but to be a bit more compassionate to yourself. You know, when you are late, I think I've talked to a couple of episodes about a specialist that I, like, literally can continue to cancel. I get charged cancellation fees for not turning up late and then the kind of the receptionist has a bit of a old lady look at me and you know a bit of shame and and I'm like oh but I think you're a little bit more compassionate to yourself or you try to be if there is a reason as opposed to a lot of people say am I just shit at life which is really depressing that you know people can feel like that for such a long time so where are you where are you going where's your psychiatrist is it telehealth is it in person what is it I've got an in-person psychiatrist appointment on the 10th of August, so coming up soon, and I got the referral from the GP. So I'd had a session with a counsellor when I very first thought, I think this might be a thing, and I'd already booked the session with her just based on, you know, needing some support, and so then this came up and she was my first kind of bouncing board basically to say am I on the right track with this and she said yeah I mean it it sounds like it and she said and it also sounds like you're going to need an answer either way so I went to the GP and the same same thing the GP said everything you're describing sounds like there's definitely something to this so here's your referral and luckily it was pretty quick and since listening to your podcast I find out that uh, I'm very lucky because some people couldn't wait six months 12 months two years so I think you've had, I mean, look, you want to, you know, anyone that's come to an adult with ADHD hasn't had an easy run, but I think going to a counsellor that kind of validated the experience and a GP, which is not always the case, then to get a quick referral, like, was it, did he just write down the nearest person that he knew of? Like, how do you even get in with a psychiatrist so quick? Because I mean, what time period yeah. is it? It's like two months. months. Yeah. 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 She knew of a couple in the area that, that understood ADHD in adults. And yeah, I do believe I probably got quite lucky that they just happened to have availability because yeah. And I nearly like, I missed the call cause I don't answer calls from unknown numbers cause I freak out. Yeah, and yeah. Luckily I called back straight away because I would so often remember it a few weeks later and yeah and then when when I found out how hard it is for so many people I thought oh my god I could have like missed that opportunity maybe that was one appointment they had in the next six months and I just happened to get it god yeah because sometimes they they do say as well a lot of them they don't want ADHD patients and I think (laughs) it's 
do with yeah well probably turn up right who knows what that's really about but they say it's to do with having a controlled substance and you know having a lot of maintenance to do with people and yeah a lot of medication trialing and they don't really like to have those patients or whether it's just a turning up thing who knows but a lot of psychiatrists that I tried were not keen on having they said we're not opening books for ADHD so what a miracle so know anything about this psychiatrist like have you checked them out how do they you know about ADHD in women is different as well yeah I have not looked deeply into it out of I guess fear I don't want to be disheartened and I don't want I don't want bumps in the road <laughs> because and so yeah I I think I've I've definitely I don't know become in many areas of my life it's that whole like like when you're trying to follow a recipe but it's all too hard so you just go I'm just gonna guess and just hope for the best and so at the moment I just feel so lucky that I have an appointment that I don't even want to like think about it any deeper I've gone as far as I actually checked her prices after listening to your podcast and I went oh shivers I need to actually make sure I can afford this and yeah it's they're they're good and and so who knows and and it may be she may want to see me five times before giving me a diagnosis like uh, you know I don't know about her specific process but I just want to get in front of her yeah I agree do you know you know what like my remember working memory is horrific so I don't Mm. even was my Brisbane pricing that I listed similar to the one that you saw it was just in the podcast and I don't remember if you listed Brisbane specifically, but I think I said in person, I was basing it off a Brisbane psychiatrist. Right. Like, how much were we talking again? Was it like $500 an appointment? Yeah. I remember you saying something like, you know, this can be up to five to $700, but my appointment is it's full price maybe is 300 and something, but with the rebate, it'll I'll just I'll be out of pocket about two hundred and something. Oh yes, I, I was expecting that. Yeah, that's good. Well, not good, but that's okay. But then maybe the the full diagnosis might take more than one appointment. That'll be interesting to see how many appointments they charge for how long. I know yeah. some of them like want to go into school reports. They want to like talk to an adult. Sorry, you're an adult, but a parent. <laughs> you know, yeah. part someone. I wonder if that's part of their process and whether they'll ask you for that. They have asked for, so they sent a whole bunch of questionnaires and asked me to go into school reports, which I tried, but because my mum likely has ADHD as well, my the box of all of my photos and school reports has gone missing. <laughs> so, yeah, they don't exist anymore. And so this is the weird thing and the scary thing about this process for me, which is why I, like, I think I just really want to get face-to-face with this psychiatrist is because my mum, I'm the youngest of five kids and she, there's a few little things that I did growing up, but for the most part, she's like, sorry, you were perfect. And I'm like, come on, mum, we need, we need signs. We need symptoms. And she's like, you were just, you were, you were great. Sorry. And, and really like, it's really hard to tease out things that could have been signs for me because I was a good student and yeah and I think bubbly personality so I I kind of sailed through 
So, so yeah, it'd be interesting. But I was definitely extremely talkative and I, my nickname in the family was Bossy Flossy. I used to, this, this is a fun quirk, I used to sing a lot and now my daughter does it, but I used to sing in the car the moment the car was turned on and I would sing until the car was turned off and it was like the car turning on was, and I remember doing this, it was like turn on the car and that's my band or something and I would make up songs. We used to a lot of the time drive to my grandparents' place half an hour away, so that was half an hour of just full-on singing and my mum thought it was adorable, just the way that I up until recently have thought my daughter's singing was adorable and wonderful. And I think mum remembers a trip to Sydney where she changed her mind on that because it was a whole driving down to Sydney was a long way to be listening to singing. And now I'm like reliving that a generation later and my daughter's singing has become less sweetly singing, making up her own songs in the corner and more like in your face, repetitive, like the wrong time while we're trying to eat dinner and it's become irritating and I'm like, ah, history repeats. Yeah. Yeah, it's good how you birth, like you kind of, it comes back at you, doesn't it? it it's it's beautiful how that happens. I'm raising my own mini me and I'm like, oh, my God. <laughs> and you just, yeah, it is the best. But, you know, one thing I was going to say when just going back a bit, you know how you're talking about being at school and how there was nothing like that your mum could really list, whether that's a symptom of her having ADHD and five kids, you know, like who knows, or whether that's, you know, maybe that's completely true as well. Have you looked up much to do with masking and ADHD in women? Yeah, I mean, it, like not a lot, it, but it. I know what was going on in my head from, say, high school because I don't remember much. I don't remember much of primary school, but I know what was going on in my head basically after puberty. So I know that I had that same, the same like self-depreciating that a lot of ADHD is talk about that kind of and the perfectionism that is strangely tied in and and it does start to make sense as to why my anxiety would have started kind of building probably in high school a lot of like mysteries like my mum and I talk a lot now about the anxiety I had at university and my and my mum was like, I just don't know where this anxiety came from. Like in her mind, she's like, I just, I don't get it. And because my siblings, things that like ended up with them make sense to her, but it didn't make sense to her why I would end up with anxiety. And now it's like, okay, now I'm starting to get it because I would have been masking very well. I have, I, yeah, I would have worked. I worked very, very hard on the whole not talking too much thing, like to the point where like recently as I've been explaining some of my symptoms, I say to people like, I have worked painstakingly hard and I mean that word pain to get to this point where I don't talk too much and imagine like I'm still, I still talk a lot. I'm still extremely chatty and it is a conscious, deliberate, like oh, taking my energy choice when I do stop talking and I know I was working on that from at least high school after being told I've talked too much probably for the first 12 years. 
I was going to say, when you say you worked on that painstakingly, and that's kind of, you know, the essence of who you are, you know, ADHD is talk a lot. I always, with my daughter, I'm like, never, I've, no one has said in front of me to her not to talk too much. If they did, I would just roast them, to be honest, leave her alone there. But I think, you know, that conscious effort to talk less, that's actually really sad that mm. someone that message at a young age and you've gone I need to be less than mm. and hold it in yeah oh yeah and and less bossy and even to this point sometimes when I'm engaging with people f- who knew me in my childhood I'm very self like analytical I think about I reflect a lot and um and even now I kind of can see how where my insecurities pop up is things like I don't want to be seen as too like taking sometimes like taking something too seriously or being because of that whole bossy flossy thing it was like I can't overrule people too much I can't kind of go no 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 guys this is how it's got to be because jazz lighten up like I can imagine someone saying that to me and sometimes it takes like a good friend recently who said, you know, like you, this is your thing. You can actually, you can say that. And was like, oh yeah, I'm a grown woman and I can do my own thing when it's my domain. And I don't need to worry that someone's just going to say, ah, lighten up. Nah, don't worry about it. But that's what I expect. So I think that would have happened a lot. And I would have, yeah, just, I would have just held myself back. It used to frustrate me so much when people would call me bossy flossy and eventually I got to the point where I would get annoyed and I remember saying, and but I was probably high school by the time I could articulate, but I used to say I'm not bossy, I'm just a leader without the title. <laughs> my God, I'm going to tell my daughter that one. That's beautiful actually. That's like on a T-shirt. That should be on a T-shirt. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And and. Uh, you know, and even just like my weird relationship with writing on a resume that I have leadership skills or something like, oh, I can't write that, you know. Mm. Do you think now though, like if you were around and it's a, is it your partner or your husband? Did you say sorry? Yep. H- husband? Yeah. So if you were around your like husband, your kids or your best friends or people you know really well, would you still kind of like not diminish yourself as not right, but hold yourself back? Or do you let it run with them? Do you know what? It depends on the mostly, mostly I think I hold myself back. Yeah. But, but some people I feel more comfortable with, but it takes a lot of reassurance. So I've got a friend who I have known since I was born, more family than friend, but she thinks she has ADHD as well. And I didn't know that until, yeah, until recently and until I actually said it the sentence out loud, hey, I think I have ADHD. And then through the conversation, she was like, I've always thought I had ADHD, but no one believed me. And, but, but like over the last few years and we get deep into conversation and I would talk about how in like going on in my head whilst we're having the conversation is like, stop, let her talk, you know, oh my gosh, she's saying all the wrong things, that kind of thing. And she's absolutely shocked by that but she reassures me and she says like oh I never think you talk too much but it takes her saying that multiple times and like really 
actually saying, I enjoy your company, Jasmine. You do not talk too much for me. I love hanging out with you. And I'm like, okay, okay. No, yeah, she genuinely wants to hang out with me. She doesn't, I'm not a burden. And yeah, so it takes a lot for me to finally ease into that. I think for most people, there's a voice in my head constantly, like not a literal one, but a, yeah, my own voice during every conversation running like a little commentary and saying, ease off. Okay, now talk. I think you've talked too much about yourself. Have you asked her anything about herself lately? Like, and it's exhausting. Yeah. It's interesting you've been doing that for so long though, because probably the only negative I think for me hearing, oh, I think you have ADHD from a psychologist, which, you know, I thought was ridiculous. I was way too successful and, you know, those people, you know, not me. But I've only kind of had that running commentary since then and it's probably been the only negative that has been that I'm so aware now socially because I think I was so unaware socially. My attitude was always like, this is who I am. You can be friends with me or not. I don't care. Like that was always my attitude. Like you should be so lucky to be my friend. I always thought I was great. Like if you don't, if I'm too much for you, then that's okay. I don't really care. But it's mm-hmm. only diagnosis. I'm actually really aware of me taking over conversations, interrupting, and also like just having a complete lack of awareness on small talk. Right. You know, like, yeah, like people will say, oh, you know, and how are you and, and how are you feeling now after you were sick last week? Whereas I'm like, yeah, so do you want me to pick you up for the movies or not? Like I can't do a lot of that small talk stuff. But it's like I would never have thought about it before. So the awareness has almost kind of worked against me because I think I was blissfully unaware. Yeah. But you learned that early on, you know, and I think that probably would have affected your confidence more so than mine because I probably went through unaware and you were actually aware the whole time. Yeah. Yeah. And that, that's like the other thing that my, my mum doesn't understand is how I ended up with such low self-esteem and I didn't, I didn't get it either. I was like, yeah, it doesn't actually make sense. I was like a straight A student. Sure. I had terrible teeth till like year 11. So that didn't help, but like, come on. I mean, people deal with a lot worse than bad teeth, but other than that, I was still popular with the boys, not the most popular, but you know, I had boyfriends. I had lots of girlfriends. I was always in, yeah, I was in the popular group. I was, did well at school. I was sporty enough, you know, that I wasn't like completely unco. And I was like, why do I like, yeah, why do I, I, I didn't, I didn't hate myself. It's, it wasn't that kind of low self-esteem. It was just assuming everybody else was better. And that didn't make sense, but now it does because whatever, like, you know, whatever I was like in primary school, I definitely was told I was too much and that, that stuck. So yeah, I was, I guess, masking and holding back for dear life from a very early age. Yeah, I'm glad we circled back to masking. This is why I asked, because when you described yourself in primary school, I felt like a very similar way. If you looked at my school reports, you wouldn't really see ADHD glaringly. Luckily, the television I went to wasn't that thorough at all. You wouldn't have seen anything. You would have seen an overachieving, you know, quite smart, sporty, you know, I had a lot going on. Like I had a lot a lot going for me in some areas, but actually the cost to the masking came later. 
and I always had a feeling I didn't belong mm. or I was quite right or I was trying really hard and I would put this face on like it was all perfect but underneath I'd be like stressed to the max at a young age and always looked like overanalyzing, you know, having my bag packed extra early because I would kind of catch myself not having the right things so I would arrive perfect, but no one would see a lot of the stuff that went on in my head before that. So the cost to the masking, in my opinion, sometimes can be, you know, low self-esteem because you're almost putting on a facade that's not real. And also a lot of anxiety because you're like got so much going on in your mind to be what everybody else is. So, you know what I mean? So just because... I mean, it's the same when you're a mum, you know, you can you can arrive to school with your kids dressed perfectly, you look okay, you've got, you know, from the outside your car looks clean, the inside, who knows. But <laughs> people would have no idea of what's actually happening, but they yeah. don't know that you've gotten up at five to do that or you've packed the night before or you just give the facade of it all being okay. And that's where I wonder where that anxiety is interlinked with you. Like, you know, where, like where did it come from? Well, that may possibly, again, I'm not speaking as an expert, but from that level of masking and being quite quite clever and quite successful at school, that, you know, could possibly come from that. Yeah. I did listen to one, you know, ADHD expert, just an American old guy. I have no idea what his name is, but I saw a short snippet and he said, yeah, people with ADHD, and I think he might have been referring specifically to women or I might have assumed, but people with ADHD can still have high intellect and they can sail through school because they rely on that hyper-focus. So they procrastinate, procrastinate, and then they've got enough intelligence and enough focus at the 11th hour and they get good grades. And he said it's when they get to uni and it requires a lot more like time management that they can suffer. And I do see that like I yeah, sailed through school and then uni, I still, it's funny because I didn't connect the dots about until recently that, yeah, I was a straight A student in school and then an average uni student. But because everybody, fours open doors, threes get degrees and all this kind of talk. Mm. You know, it's kind of like, oh, okay, well, I can't complain about a, G- a five GPA. But my first degree straight out of school, that was when my anxiety seriously peaked. And I had some really hard times I didn't, I didn't tell anyone about. And, yeah, and a lot of it, and, you know, there was, there's so many things happening at that time too, so many big changes that it's really hard to, like, be able to pinpoint at the time what's going on. But in hindsight, I think, hmm, that would have been a component of it that I couldn't rely on last minute assignments anymore. And then the other part was I always, the another reason I did well in school was I always asked my mum for help. So I got her to proofread things and I had a mum that was like, she's dedicated. And if it was the night before an assignment was due and I asked her to proofread it, she proofread it for me and she probably she probably stayed up late with me as well or got up I probably landed it on her bedside table the morning it was due because I'd been up till 3 a.m and went ah please go through it and she just she would have like she wouldn't she was not the type of parent that would go you should have been more organized she would just help so I reached out for help from her a lot and then come uni and she couldn't proofread a you know scientific report 
on some specific silly topic. And yeah, there was like, oh, okay, I don't, I'm not living at home with my little security blanket anymore. And I struggled. So, yeah. Yeah. And uni, uni can be a lot harder, you know, because you've, it's got less scaffolding and, you know, we talk about scaffolding. So if you know you're not good at certain things, you would scaffold. Like I never remember to take the hats with me. So, you know, you have hats in the car and hats in the door, <laughs> reminders about the hats. But, yeah, uni can be completely different in that way in that you just don't have a lot of that small regular goals. They just got, you know, one assignment for the whole semester. That's an absolute yeah. deal for someone with ADHD. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, I think that's when it's like I, I think from high school onwards it's kind of just the with each additional stressor in life, I guess it probably was I was working harder and harder to meet normal requirements and to show up as organised or, yeah, neurotypical. Like I, I um, And I think the harder I had to work, the more anxiety came out and yeah correct and I think that having an un- unpacking like this is really important before your appointment because you'll be able to I mean a lot of people say with ADHD that it really has to impact your life if someone looked at you from the outside you know they could judge that you know you're successful you've got a partner you've got kids you you know you're running a successful business you know how has it impacted your life but on the flip side there's been a lot more work that you've had mm. to do Achieve those goals it's not you're right it's not that we can't achieve them it's just that it's that much harder or you know we have to be naturally that much smarter to pick it up yeah I think not reaching full potential is a theme that I'm seeing in the women I talk to and that was that was my mum's biggest thing she just she knew and I have described my mum as the smartest woman I know for my whole life and I always felt like she could have she could have been anything but she knows her undiagnosed but she feels that ADHD held her back and I think so too and then my own like kind of career progression and life and and seeing the like the side steps I make half finished degrees and it was a miracle I finished my first one to like when I really think back but but, you know I was young and it was a lot easier back then yeah and and kind of going, ah, like, yeah, I can see why I've always felt like, how come I have ended up where I am when all of my peer group at school finished school, went and did their degree, got their graduate jobs, are professionals with 15 years experience now. And I'm like, what the heck? So, yeah. So ADHD, I think, does create a really interesting life. When you speak to someone who has ADHD, holy moly, they've got some good stories. They're usually great chatters. They love a great story and they've also got a lot of Yeah. Yeah. My friends would always say, oh, I love listening to you tell stories. And in my head, I am like, really? Oh, my God. But I, but I talked the whole time. I'm not allowed to do that. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. And, and I know. And it's crazy to look back and think that, that this is like – that it can totally be a superpower, but it's been taking from me this whole time because I didn't know what it was. Yeah, absolutely. Let's let's talk relationships briefly because the, I think the psychiatrist will talk about that. How do you think ADHD has affected you like with a romantic relationship? 
Like, have you noticed any patterns throughout the years or anything like that? I think hmm, the low self-esteem plays a part, for sure. Picking people that probably weren't entirely right for me, but kind of feeling like, well, there's something wrong with me, so I can't expect the best. And then I've actually been, you know, ever since kind of figuring all this out, I've been looking at where I feel, because thinking about the psychiatrist asking about the questions on how does it impact your life, is their day-to-day struggle. And I look in my relationship and I'm starting to go, huh, okay, I can see little things. When I remember when my husband and I first moved in together, so you know, pre-kids, both working full-time, but if we'd have an important event to go to, like a wedding, I knew I had, so I had no sense of time, but I didn't have any language around that back then. And I didn't even, I wouldn't have even been able to say, I have no sense of time. I just, I can't remember what I would have said, but I said, you need to be my timekeeper because I'm going to be getting ready. I'm going to be doing my makeup and stuff. And I'm not going to know how long we have left before we need to leave. And he is the type of person that says he was just kind of (laughs) trained, I guess, early on that if you're not early, you're late. So in oh, it would bring him so much anxiety. He's not a highly anxious person too highly anxious and I'm the chill one which is like (laughs) so so he would need to be early and I'm like that ain't gonna happen unless you help me so you need to be my timekeeper and so I would be getting ready and then my like bossy flossy hat would come on and come on and I'd go timekeeper and I'd just like get into the mode and I over time like over weeks or whatever of me trying this new fun thing thinking yeah this will totally help he was just getting more and more irritated and that like dynamic is quite I can see how that dynamic has then played out for the rest of our relationship where this frustration where he's like or just be on time Jasmine and me or just help me and then me getting into that kind of bossy mode of like if I could just tell everybody what to do everything would work out really well he doesn't want to be told what to do. Like that's really awful. And I would be really abrupt about it because I was kind of leaning into that vibe and it would cause tension. And, and I look back and I'm like, geez, that was pre kids, you know, that was pre kids. And I was already aware that there was no way we were getting somewhere on time unless I had help. But when you don't have an awareness about what that is and the language around it and the awareness that it may be and, neurodivergence then it's just irritating and we have a lot of those things in our relationship where they've been just like points of contention and irritation and frustration like why can't you just do it and now I'm looking at it in a whole new light and seeing do you know what it's not like you know I'm not the person that's never been able to maintain a relationship, for example, but I am a person who has daily stresses in my relationship because of these symptoms. So, yeah, it's not like this. I studied psychology, right? That was my first degree in undergrad in psychology, and I always saw that the requirement for it to heavily impact daily life, I saw that as like an extreme which is why I never would have in a million years considered myself able to be diagnosed with anything because I was looking for an extreme impact of daily functioning, like 
becoming homeless. And Mm. yeah, and now I realize I'm like, okay, it may not look like an extreme impact, but I'm stressed out every single day in all these different areas of my life. And I think that over time, yeah, is considered pretty extreme in my books. Oh, I think so too. I think so too. But then if you were to be diagnosed, you might have the awareness to explain some mm. of that. I think I did an episode on is ADHD and an, is ADHD an excuse? And it's obviously not an excuse. It's about taking responsibility, but also naming what it is, being aware and then, you know, trying your best to put things in place to improve on areas that you need to improve on. But you can't just act as if you don't have it and go, oh, well, I'm just going to be on time. Yeah. Um, you know, that's not going to happen either. How else, I, I love that time example. I've actually wanted to do a whole episode on time. Mm. Um, what about in terms of like being a mum? Because obviously you were in a relationship, you're working full time, you've had a journey with anxiety. What do you think, oh, sorry, what do you think it was about motherhood that pushed you over the edge? Mm. Yeah, I've thought a lot about this. Um, because of that whole absent, you know, apparent absence of symptoms in early life, I have thought a lot about of what, yeah, why now? Why, why has it become so obvious? Apart from also just the awareness in the kind of mainstream media now. But I think I was able to control my environment when I did not have kids in a way where I coped better. So I look back and think at that same kind of time when I was yelling timekeeper, I also was waking up on Saturday or Sunday mornings, naturally waking up at 5am because it's the weekend and like a kid, like suddenly I'm, you know, suddenly I'm waking up at 5am and I would have the house, well, the the unit, because we're in a small unit, I would have it clean like thoroughly clean by 7am and be running vacuum. (laughs) And then motherhood hit and I was absolutely incapable of keeping a house clean or tidy and it created so much anxiety. And yeah, and I, and I just, I, I guess it was just the pressures and the not being able to control my environment, not being able to just go like, right, I am in hyper-focus mode and I am cleaning this house because you cannot. So the stop start was just like crazy. And then I would also beat myself up way more than I needed to. And I still do like, what is wrong with me? Why can't I just, you know, tidy up? Why can't I just blah? Sleep deprivation. So my first baby did not sleep. That would have made a huge difference and I think I already had yeah real hard time with working memory hard time with long-term memory too like I don't I don't retain like general knowledge stuff well and then I think with sleep deprivation getting distracted way more with the baby yeah it was like my brain was and then postpartum as well like just the what happens with your brain when you have a baby anyway. And it was like my brain just stopped. <laughs> and that's when 12 months postpartum I was diagnosed with anxiety and given anxiety medication, which helped a little bit, but, yeah, wasn't like a miracle drug or anything. Yeah, and then so I think not being able to control things was really hard for me. 
the com- like competing demands, kind of the vary, like the variation of, in your life, the, that each day is different is like, I think it was fun for my brain, but it also started to stack up in terms of not being able to remember things, not being able to get to like getting appointments and stuff like that. And I, and I look back and, and I think it just, this was a steady increase over the year parenthood and then adding a second child and now I am just I had yesterday I had 487 unread emails in my inbox and yeah like cannot for the life of me remember that my daughter's library day is on Thursday and that kind of thing so it's like just this it it was like it's just stacked up to the point where now I'm just like oh, I cannot I cannot manage yeah and I think some of those tasks that you've listed as well are also like boring. Like, you know, yeah. what day is your daughter's library? Like, who cares? I just can't. Like, I care for them, but I don't care really. So, mm. a small, silly detail that it just has no way of sticking in my brain. You think, you know, we're in August now, you should know what day your kid's mm. library is. I don't. And this term, I've forgotten to write it up. So, I, I don't even know. I said to my daughter this morning, where's your homework book? I don't know. It's just I think if you're not educationally like passionate, if you're not passionate about schooling and you're not passionate about homework and it's not an area of interest, Jesus, it's hard to get motivated when it's not even yours. Yeah, and you know what? Like I can I remember I guess in my head that library day is Thursday, but I won't know it's Thursday on Thursday. Mm. And and I've often said, and in fact my mum can relate to this as well that there's like, it's almost like there's compartments in my brain and this compartment can know this and this compartment can know this, but they don't speak to each other. And so, yeah, like part of me, my brain will be ticking over some appointment that I've got, you know, don't forget to go to the GP, don't forget to go to the GP. And then my husband says like, you know, I need the car on Friday. Yeah, Julie needs the car on Friday. Julie needs the car on Friday. They don't connect that that was on the same bloody day until the day comes. And I go, far out. Like, I need the, I need the, got the GP appointment. And that's where it all becomes unstuck. And yeah. And like my husband looks at me and goes, but I told you I needed the car on Friday. And you knew you had your GP appointment on Friday. And I said, yeah, but those were in different parts of my brain. (laughs) What? I actually haven't heard anyone describe it like that. I wish, I wonder if there's an expert term for what you just described because. (laughs) That's like me and my husband all the time. I'll go to him. We've got to go talk to the builder on Thursday and then we'll also book something else on Thursday and then on Thursday we'll realise that we have we cannot do any of it. Yeah. Of us have put it together but yet we, we know intellectually that it's all on Thursday and yeah. then that we don't seem to still mm. know that it's Thursday but I do know it's Thursday. It's a really great way of describing that. Yeah, yeah, and it is, it's, it's like it's trippy. And that's how I feel when my daughter comes home and goes, oh, I didn't have my library book. And I'm like, oh, yeah. And she's, and I cried just for a little bit because I couldn't borrow a book. And I'm like, oh, my God. But I'm like, I knew. I, like this morning we said, what day is it? Thursday. And then the other part of my brain knows that library day is Thursday. But why didn't they connect? And, yeah. And I don't know. Okay if that's just because my brain is working so hard and that it's just 
it's tired or if there are neurons that just are not firing together not sure but it's definitely something that's happened a lot in my adult life those mm -hmm. kind of and and you know and here's the thing like when I was working full-time pre-kids I had to get to work at the same time every day so that was doable that's fine and it was the same place I worked in the same place every single day so there wasn't too many competing factors weekends were for socializing so that was really easy you knew when the weekend was and you might only have like I wasn't a real big party animal so probably had one thing to do on Saturday night <laughs> and the days were open shall we go to the markets this morning sure let's do that yeah and then adding kids opens up the calendar and then if you've got total time blindness like days just roll into each other before you know it you're finding out you missed your dad's birthday a week ago like is it really October already? Oh my God, I didn't, you know, there's just, uh, yeah, there was no awareness there. It's, <laughs> Are you exhausted? Just oh, my exhausting brain. Sounds very similar to my life and I'm like, <laughs> it's, I was just like at this moment of, it is hard, isn't it? Okay, so we have, we are going into your diagnosis appointment and you are seeing a psychiatrist, is that correct? You are. Okay, so... Are you looking for medication? Is that an option for you? Is that what you're open to? Yeah, I would love to try medication. I feel like I would, I would A, I would love to know what it feels like to be able to decide on a task, start the task, finish the task like it was nothing, you know. That, that like, I want that elusive feeling. I would love to yeah experience what potentially other people are experiencing and for life to be easier and as you said like earlier how it was only post your diagnosis that you started to be aware of that kind of like voice in your head remind mm. stop talking yes I definitely feel like there's the more awareness ever since I thought oh my gosh I think I have ADHD I am definitely more aware now like when I switch between tasks I'm like oh god there you go again and so I'm conscious of each of them now whereas in the past I probably would have just got to the end of day and gone why didn't I do the thing that I needed to do whereas now I go oh I know why I didn't do the thing because I flicked between five different things I know all of those five different things I did and and I remember the feeling where I just couldn't control myself stopping and starting something new so there is much more of an awareness of it now but and I think look if none of the medications worked or the psychiatrist said no nah, they're not right for you or something I've already just the awareness of it and the self-compassion has already helped a little bit so I think I could probably keep going with that having comp compassion being aware scaffolding around me getting some more practical supports in place. But I would love to know what it's like to not have that kind of distraction all day, every day. So, yeah. yeah. But, but I also am aware that the first session, that's not going to happen. So I keep reminding myself this could be a long process. <laughs> yeah, and then you've always got that impatient vibe, you know, ADHD. It's like, 
oh, I know what I have now. Well, I think I know, you know, so now I want to get better because I've waited, you know, 30 yeah. plus years. So I'd like to try something, please. Like I'm, I'm, I'm busting. I haven't had it for 30 years, but now I need it immediately. Yes. <laughs> but the other thing I was going to say to you, Casey, you're preparing for your appointment. I think it's great for anyone listening to really deep dive with someone or a journal if, if, you, if you just want to yourself, all the different ways that we've unpacked today, how this has impacted Jasmine's life right from the beginning through to uni, but also being aware that with females we do mask a lot. So if we were to look at Jasmine from an outsider point of view, we might not we might see her as a successful person and she still is a successful person, but we don't necessarily see everything underneath that it goes in for Jasmine to be Jasmine and what for her to get through everyday life. And that struggle within might not be something that's seen. So I think before you go to an appointment, it's really important to have a, some clarity, sit down and have a think about it. Because in the psychi- psychiatrist appointment, I feel like the onus is on the patient to really bring to light where they're at. Whereas mm. sometimes I feel like people go in and they, they're waiting for the psychiatrist to uncover what it is. Whereas I think we kind of got to lay it out pretty clearly, especially if you're someone who has been, you know, highly masking or camouflaging, which is what, you know, you can Google that if you don't know what that means. But basically it means where you've been covering it up or maybe you're particularly smart and you've done a couple of degrees, you're successful, you know, kind of what's wrong with you. But you've also been possibly, you know, battling anxiety and depression for a long time as well. So, I think you want to be really clear and I think Jasmine's done a great job of being aware and really insightful into her life. I think it's always great to ask other people too and reflect on, you know, intimate relationships, best friends or friendships you've lost, you know, because of perhaps ADHD. I think there's, seems like everyone's got a story about, you know, possibly some conflict they didn't handle well, possibly some rejection sensitivity around which I think we've all experienced or, you know, high levels of anxiety and then you, you know, accidentally on purpose push people away. So I think there's lots of things to think about. The other thing, and I know I'm talking a lot, is the, the prompting. So, Jasmine, when, if this psychiatrist goes through the DSM, which is, the, you know, obviously the framework, then I think you've got to be aware that when they ask you those questions, you can't be relying on prompting. Do you know what I mean by that? So like with them giving you kind of part of the answer and saying or an example to help you realise what you're like. The reason I mention it is because when the psychologist put me through it, I was just like all of it. And because he knew me pretty well, he Mm -hmm. liked making a bar of it. And but if I hadn't have known him so well, he I wouldn't have him have met the criteria, which would have really changed my life. So for example, he said to me, do you know where you need to be next Tuesday? And I was like, yeah, I'm not intellectually disabled. Like, and he, and he goes, no, 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 no G cow. You've got three phones on the table. You've yeah. got, they're all ringing. They've all got alarms. I've seen you with your notepad, with your notes and your thing. He goes, I've never seen anything like the complex system you've got. Take all of that away. Where are you going to be next Tuesday? And I was completely flawed. Yeah. So when I mean prompting, like, for example, you know, leaving stuff next to the door, leaving stuff near the car, putting your keys on top of your hat, and that's not just a convenience thing. That's like literally I won't find them. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah. so with that prompting, look at the scaffolding, anything that you've got sitting around you to help you, and imagine that's not there when you're answering the questions. 
Yeah. I've had this a thought in my head of like, yeah, the, the, if the psychiatrist asks, okay, so how do you get places on time when you do? And what I realise the answer is, is I rush. I actually have no way of pacing my time. I can have two hours before we need to leave the house and I will rush. And then I'll sit down and then I'll have no concept of like how long I need. But then when I stand up again, I'll just rush. I just know that when I'm getting ready, I just have to go fast and I have to rush if I have any chance of getting there on time. And so, yeah, like I'm starting to think about, well, how have I managed? Okay, well, here's some of the things I do, which, yeah, right, so that's prompting. Absolutely. And the other way of looking at it, which is masking, would be I'm not someone who turns up places late. So I've, 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 well, I say that, but then that specialist appointment, I do turn up late. So (laughs) maybe this is my own thoughts of myself, but I generally tend to be pretty good. So for example, with the kids in the morning, I never get them there late, touch wood. I'm like, but is that out of me managing time well, or is that out of just anxiety? Mm. So for, for me, when I have somewhere to go or I have lots of things on, I get highly anxious and I'm there early. When my daughter started prep every single week for the first six weeks, I was the first person in that prep yard. Right. A highly organised person or is that someone who's highly anxious? Mm. So when you talk about time, it's also about the way that you manage time. So you're talking about, like, honestly, it sounds like just complete time blindness to me. So you're just like, I don't know, but I know I'm always late, so I'm going to just rush and go the fastest I possibly can and not actually keep time well, I'm Mm. just going to, and then I'm there thinking, I'm tracking to be an hour early at this point. I can't take my foot off the accelerator, even though I know I could, because I will then be late. Yeah. Yeah. Of sheer anxiety, I get there just so I can relax and take the pressure off, because I know I'm there. So there's lots of different ways it looks, and none of it's right or wrong, but it's, it's not managing time well I always see that meme or it's like something on social media it's about I know it's unrelated it's about alcoholism so it says like two sons have both got an alcoholic father one of them doesn't touch alcohol at all and one of them is an alcoholic which one is healthier and it's like actually neither of them is that healthy because neither of them can do moderation one of them is probably terrified that he might become an alcoholic or he's you know he's seen he's been traumatized who knows and he's made a decision not to drink at all. And then there's someone who can't stop drinking. So which is healthy, you know, and, and I think it's that unhealthy relationship with like boundaries and balance and time that you can swing from one to the other super quick. Yeah. But yeah, there's a lot of overcompensating. Yeah, overcompensating and masking. So I think if you look at some of those things as well and look at the prompting, look at the masking, and be really ready with examples, then I think it should, you know, I mean, I'm, I'm hoping you'll go well, fingers crossed for you. But I was very lucky I had someone who who helped me through that, whereas I would have, if someone had sat me down, I would have denied, no, that's ridiculous. Yeah, yeah. And the other, I think the big part that I need to focus on as well, because of my memory issues, that when I'm asked a question, even if I have thought about a million examples over the course of the weeks, she might ask me, you know, 
have you got some examples of this? And I'll be like, yes, maybe, I don't know. So I absolutely need to write it all down. But yeah, but I have, there's, you know, there's three months till 10th of August, isn't there? That's what my brain's I think I should like put an alarm on my phone. Leave now, Jasmine. Leave now. <laughs> but, you know, I think there's nothing wrong with an ADHD person bringing in some notes to an appointment. Like if they've got a great working memory and got a great long-term memory, they probably don't have ADHD. So, I mean, taking yeah. notes is pretty, pretty standard, I would imagine. But I don't know. I'm not a psychiatrist. But did you have anything else to add before we finish up? Do you know what? I was just thinking when you were talking about, like, yeah, how we mask and how we look on the outside and – I guess for other kind of mums listening, like I wanted to say that so often on the outside, my friends think I am doing it all, you know, like, don't know how you do it. I'll occasionally, you know, get the bread maker out and bake someone some bread because I'm about to go see them. And I think that'll be nice. And the image I think they paint in their head is of Jasmine who must have everything else sorted and then have extra time and she's made me bread and I don't want a single woman feeling like even an ounce of lower self-esteem because of me (laughs) because holy moly if you went back into my house with that bread maker the rest of the house is absolute chaos I've screamed at my kids that morning The night before they had two minute noodles for dinner, my husband and I are having a hard time. My head is filled with all of the ways I'm doing everything wrong, but I got the urge to make bread and I made bread and like, yeah, I just, I, you know, I think that's why I ended up in the job that I'm in caring for mothers because I just need mothers to know that they are most, like, even completely neurotypical mothers, you are most likely so similar to everybody else. But because you are on your own in your house, you think you're doing it wrong. Someone rocks up at your doorstep with a meal. That doesn't mean they did everything they needed to do for their life and then had spare time to make you a meal. They probably just ditched a whole bunch of other stuff that they needed to do because that day they prioritised you. And that doesn't make them better, better at life, better at motherhood. You know, they walk into your house and your house is a schmozzle. There's probably is too. And I just, yeah, honestly, from the outside, oftentimes even my closest friends think I am totally nailing it. And when when they say it, I go, what? How could you possibly think that? And I try really hard to be real and tell people what I'm dealing with and tell people the hard time I'm having with my kids and yeah and be really open and honest but I guess it's so easy for women especially to to kind of ignore that and just look at say what's being produced like the production like and you know I am not studying right now but I'm usually studying one subject and running the business and mothering And it just looks on the outside to my friends like I must have more capacity than them. And, but it's just really not, it's, it's actually that I probably, that I start a lot of things out of impulsiveness and let a lot of other things burn. 
so yeah, that's, I guess, I really just wanted to get that across. So to any mums listening that are like me, struggle with low self-esteem, just to remind you that literally nobody is doing it all. We're all prioritising. And for people, I think, with brains that work a little differently, maybe our prioritising happens on a minute-by-minute basis. You know, right now I absolutely cannot shower, but I can, you know, pack the school lunches. So that I'll do. That has more of an impact. Yeah, absolutely. And I think you've hit a you've made a great point too. And I think you said that earlier about how when you thought you might have ADHD, you went and told a few people that you didn't know as well who you thought might be open to it first. And I think if you're on the path where you're thinking, oh, I might I maybe I do have this, the communication to others that can be really tricky because often we are painting that perfectionism picture and there's that society pressure to be really good and you know maybe we've camouflaged if you don't know what camouflaging is google it it's so interesting where you just blend in you make it seem like everything's okay if you do that enough times to enough people that if you do decide to disclose that you might have ADHD or you think you could be you know you might find that everyone around you goes that can't be right. You're better than I am. If, if you think you might have ADHD, what's wrong with me? But mm. they don't really see what's underneath either. So I think you've made a really good point that it's interesting that people have that perception of you when that's not how you feel about yourself and that may not be actually your reality either. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. And people say it all the time too and they say it to me, oh, Jazz, you don't know what's happening behind closed doors. And even I go, yeah, look, I know I don't, but I bet it's better than this. <laughs> like, yeah. And it's just that, that, that pressure, that just sheer, I always say to people, you know, the internal struggle of someone, a female with ADHD, who's trying to put it all together and come across that they're all together. Yeah. It's indescribable. And if you sit down at, you know, for a, at a psychiatrist, it's a difficult job for them as well if you've got the lookings like someone who's outwardly successful but yet, you know, you're asking for a controlled substance. That can be a really tricky ask for them as well. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> please, please give me some drugs. I swear I'm struggling. <laughs> yeah, I'm struggling underneath. But look, I've got a great job. I've got two kids, great marriage. I, you know, I, I live in my own house with a mortgage. I'm, you know, I don't even know if you think about it from their point of view. Although, really, would someone really go there that's got it all together? Wouldn't they have other stuff to do? Why would they be chasing, you know, a controlled substance? I don't know. But it's just been such a pleasure to talk to you, Jasmine. Thank you for being so honest and open. I really appreciate it. Oh, no, thank you for inviting me on. I went looking for your podcast by typing in, like, Australian ADHD women because I was desperate to hear from somebody who, like who I could relate to because even just the, even just the like ADHD, like ADHD adults and ADHD AF podcasts and they're in the UK, I was just like not feeling that same sense of like, yes, I can see myself in this person. I'm, I'm reassured. And yeah. And so I was so, so grateful for your podcast that it existed and there it was ADHD mums and every episode I'm just nodding along just like, yes. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> oh, thank you. I appreciate that. I felt the same way I was listening. I like I like ADHD AF as well. 
But yes, yeah, some of the UK terminology, you it, it can be a bit off-putting. They talk about NHS a lot and you're like, that's not really relevant. And even sometimes you just want to listen to an Australian accent. I don't know what it is. It's a bit of yeah. a bit of home. But um, it's been such a blessing. To, oh, I hate the word blessing. I just said it. it <laughs> I don't say grateful or generally either. It's been so great to have you on, Jasmine. What I think we might do is we might follow up with you after the 10th. We'll see how the appointment goes, whether it went great or not. Who knows? Let's follow it up. Let's see what your experience was like. And I think if you can go through in detail, let's see if you remember, um, yeah. how for people that have never visited a psychiatrist before, that might be something that they really want to hear. What question did they, did they open with? A lot of us have got anxiety and we're like, what are they going to ask me? What... You know, let I think we we go through it all step by step, whether yeah. it goes or not. So if you're keen, let's book that in, and you know we can follow your your journey with medication as well if you're open. And I think that would be a really positive thing to do because a lot of people message me and say that they cancelled their appointment because they got so anxious just before it. Yeah, yeah. Oh, and I've had moments of like I think if my psychiatrist hadn't have been as reasonably priced as she is I would have had way more moments of like should I be doing this because I think that and and from what I've read that's quite a typical you know ADHD in adult women is this is that whole feeling like you're totally like a fraud and no no maybe I'm just bad at life and and the idea of spending hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of dollars and the idea of somebody saying like no, sweetie, you're just bad at life. <laughs> it's very anxiety provoking. And I think given the price of my psychiatrist, I'm like, okay, I can cope with that. If that's the worst that can happen, she says I'm just bad at life, but I was out of pocket, say $250, I can cope. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, that's not the case for so many women. And some women have been waiting for, yeah, like you said, 12 months or something. Could you imagine the anxiety leading up to that, thinking you were just going to be told to walk out the door? So, yeah. Yeah. And I think, you know, my, I had a clinical psych diagnose my son and I think he's looking down a medication route at some point. So I've had him on a wait list for 10 months with a pedi- pediatrician. And when that appointment comes up, I know I'm going to be a bit of a mess because I'm going to be like, I've waited like nearly a year for this appointment and I really know what he needs. And then pediatricians and psychiatrists are both the people in my experience, not everybody, that will pick up a psych report and decide to make their own opinion. Mm. They're not going to go off what someone else has said. And I understand that because they're handing out the controlled substance. So, like, they're not going to go off some report. They don't know anything. They, they need to start from the beginning. I understand that. But you're also like, I've actually been down this road and I feel like, you know, you don't want to feel invalidated as a mom or it could be your parenting, you know. It's such a anxious time. So... I think for people waiting, but you either do one of two things. I think you either heavily research the person, which is sometimes to your detriment. Sometimes it's relieving. Sometimes it isn't, although you can always find something negative about someone online, you know, or you don't do either and you're pleasantly surprised or disappointed. Hard to know which one's better or worse, but Mm. uh, yeah, I really wish you well. And I know we're going to follow up. Thank you so much for coming and thank you for your time, Jasmine. Thank you so much. 